This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Build Business Acumen Podcast, where we deliver practical knowledge and powerful guidance. Here is your futuristic host, Nathaniel Schooler. So today I'm interviewing Brian Gracely. And if you're on Twitter, you can get him at B Gracely, which is B-G-R-A-C-E-L-Y. And he is a director of product strategy at Red Hat, the world's leading open source software company. He brings 20 plus years of experience, Red Hat, Wikibon, EMC, Virtustream, NetApp and Cisco in strategy, product management, systems engineering, marketing and M&A. He is recognized as an industry thought leader in cloud computing and DevOps, as well as being co-host of the award-winning podcast, The Cloudcast. He has a BS MBA from Wake Forest University. And I think you'll find this very interesting conversation. Well, it's really great that you took the time to join me today, Brian. And I am very interested in learning more about you and the projects you've, you've worked on and stuff like that. Sure. Thanks for having me on, Nathaniel. I really appreciate it this morning. My pleasure. My pleasure. So I've got a couple, I've just, you know, got a couple of topics that I sort of mentioned before, and I'm still confused as, and I think many people are actually about the difference between digitalization, which is one of the topics and digital transformation. So I think we'll, we'll sort of kick off by talking about digitalization first, if that's all right with you. Yeah, sure. So, you know, the, the terms can kind of sometimes get interchanged or um, get buzzwordy and they get confusing. But I think in the simplest sense, the way that I think about digitization is it's essentially the process of taking something that, let's say it's in the context of business, something that used to be very physical based. So going to a store or something that was, uh, you know, location based, um, you know, hailing a cab or something like that and and figuring out, okay, how do I uh, number one, make that a digital experience, something that I can um, interact with, say, over the internet, for example. Uh, but more importantly, how do we make it something that can be personalized and we can learn from that process? So let's take a, let's take a simple example. So if I was in London and I wanted to hail a cab, um, you know, in the past, the cab sort of had full control over what that experience was. As the, as the end user, you know, the person riding the car, I didn't really know when they were going to show up I didn't really know what the fare was going to be. They didn't know who I was. There was no sort of loyalty to any cab company specifically. And now what's happened is, you know, because I have essentially the internet in my pocket on your, on your smartphone um, and I have a service, so something like Lyft or Uber or any of the other services out there, that process of, of hailing a cab has now become digitized because I have visibility of where they are. So I have a sense of how long it's going to take. Do I stand out in the rain? Do I not stand in the rain? Um, they know I, I can look at who the, who the driver is so I can get a sense of how trustworthy they are. Uh, do, you know, do I want to deal with them? Have other people thought they were a good, a good driver? Um, but all of that has now become a digitized experience. And so you can begin to wrap a bunch of other things around that experience. Loyalty to uh, a service, um, an understanding of who the driver is, the location of where the car is. And then that begins the process of, well, okay, what, what more could happen beyond that? Well, you know, basic things start to happen. You know, it's raining or the traffic is bad and you go, well, I'd like to be able to communicate with that person. Maybe I moved from where I originally started uh, because it was raining. I moved down the street to, to the next corner. I want to be able to text that person or call that person. And so we've taken something that was very physical, uh, and location-based before, and we've turned it into something that becomes digitized, i.e. we put the internet between your business and the person, um, and all these other new interesting services, customizations kind of spring out of that. So to me, 
that's one example of what, what digitization might mean. Okay. Okay. But I mean, aren't all businesses to some extent digitalized these days or most? Well, there's really two pieces to it. Um, yes, every business is trying to become digitized. So whether that means, um, you know, your, your buying experience moves to something online or digital, whether it's a mobile phone or a web application, um, th- that's part of it. The other part of it really is what do you do once you've, once you've done that digitization? Because that's really where things sort of decide whether companies are successful or just kind of beginning to play in the game. So let me, let me give you an example of that. So um, just being able to put something online, it's been around for more than a decade. Everybody's had a website. Everybody's got a mobile app these days. The question becomes two things. Number one, what do you do when you've created that new interaction model with, with, your, with your customers or with your business partners, right? Is it just a, a one-time interaction, right? I just went to the website and I bought something. Or have you begun to understand how do I learn more about that experience? When did they come? What types of things did they, did they search around for? What did I recommend to them? What do I know about that person that I can uh, enhance about trying to continue to make them a customer? What habits do they have? All those things start to become two-way interactions or multi-way interactions. You're, you're wrapping a lot of information around the experience. You're using that experience to make the interaction better. That becomes the digitization. Now, so that's one part of it. Do we, have, we, have we made that digitization you know, rich and able to, to drive more interactions or drive better experiences? That's one part of it. The second part that's probably much more complicated is the part where you say, okay, I'm the business that's offering that. So let's say I'm a bank or I'm retail or I'm something else. When you're, when you're having to make uh, that interaction with your customer or with your business partner more two-way, more based on the data that happens, the interactions that happen, now you start to have to say, okay, our internal business processes and potentially the way we organize our business is probably going to have to change because we're no longer just saying um, we're taking an action, we planned for it for nine months, we took an action, and then we're all done. We're essentially saying the business and the way that we interact with our marketplace or with our partners or with uh, other things that will influence our market is going to be a constantly evolving thing, a constantly changing thing. And because it's software that's now interacting with your customer, as opposed to a person or a physical store, we have the ability to update that software, change that experience, use the data from that experience to continue to improve it and change it. So if your business is, is internally very static, your organizational charts are very, uh, are very static, the way that you communicate changes within your business is very static, you're going to struggle with the digital transformation part of that, right? So you may have digitized the front end of your store, for example, but the, digi- you know, the sort of digital transformation of what do I do beyond that within my company is the, usually the bigger challenge for a lot of companies. Right, right. I mean, so dig- digitalization is the blanket topic which should include digital transformation. Ideally, everything needs to be as streamlined as possible right. and it needs to be as easy as possible for the teams to to work within that business so digitalizing it is just you know using the data whether it's coming in from you know your old customer records which you know you you have and new data that you are assimilating from all, all over the place. It could be from, from your Google Analytics. It could be from your social media listening tools. It could be from, you know, anything else that you're sort of plugged in. It could be weather data, right? Right, you right. know, about IBM and the, and the <clears throat> weather, weather channel or whatever they bought a few years right. ago. But billions of dollars. <laughs> um, it, so, so, so then that actually opens up the, the conversation around, you know, let's let's look at this data let's actually analyze it let's kick it around and then let's create some let's create some new business models let's create some more pro you know better processes smoother processes and actually just see if we're missing any opportunities right i mean that's 
that's in essence what we're looking to do, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we're really, what happens when, when you get to a point where what you've, what you've done is digitized, right? So your experience is now digital, if you will. Um, it begins to sort of open up a whole lot of possibilities about how you can start to say, okay, how do I not just give a better experience or be more efficient, but because the cost of making changes is so low, right? So let's take a simple physical versus virtual example. So let's say I want to, I run a retail store. I run a clothing store, for example. Um, if I'm not sure if red sweaters are going to be more popular season or blue sweaters are going to be more popular. Well, the cost of, of figuring that out means I'd have to order a whole lot of inventory. I'd have to go to the store. I'd have to put out red ones for a few days. I'd have to figure out, did those sell really well? Then maybe the next few days I put out blue ones and I figure out if those sell well, but I had to buy the blue inventory. Like all that can be very expensive. It can be time consuming. And, you know, for all you know, that day was just, you know, rainy and miserable weather and nobody was going out to buy anyways, right? So you did a bunch of work. Maybe you got useful information. Maybe you didn't. Online, you can simply say, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, to build some pictures of people with red sweaters. I'm going to build some pictures of people with blue sweaters. And for some percentage of the people that come to my website, I'm going to put the blue sweater out as the first thing they see. And I can figure out very quickly, is that, is that drawing attention? Is that collecting uh, people? Are, are people buying that? Okay, so for the next day, week, whatever, I put the red sweater out there. The cost of doing that, of putting out those experiments uh, digitally is infinitely less, right? It basically costs me nothing um, to do those experiments. And I can start figuring out, okay, uh, are there correlations between days of the week and colors? Are there correlations between what was on television last night for the most popular um, TV show that people watched, that people were watching and the person wore a red sweater? Should I put that red sweater out there? What's happening on Pinterest or any of the other, like you said, social media sites to figure out how can I start to correlate things um, or associate things that maybe will help me as well. And so doing it, when you start with digital as your, as your footprint, um, the ability to then experiment with the business, start to figure out what people would like um, becomes much easier, number one, but also becomes incredibly less expensive to do. Um, and so your ability to, to tweak things for 1%, 5% here and there uh, becomes much more manageable than what you ever did in a, in a physical world. Right. So, so it enables you to also come up with all sorts of new possibilities in all areas of the business, doesn't it? Absolutely. So for example, you, you might say, well, you know, you might be a clothing store and you might think, well, okay, so we've got a great website. So how are we going to take this to the next level? I mean, I've been, I've been looking at getting some glasses. Yeah. So I'm in the yep. process of getting glasses and I had a look at some of the glasses, you know, in a shop. Um, mm -hmm. and then I had a look online and I went to a site, which is, you know, you can, you can order your glasses online. Okay. So they send you your glasses and I, tr and I was just like, I was looking on my mobile and it says, please install flash. Right. Right. So you look at yourself and see these glasses on. Right. How am I going to install flash from my iPhone? Yeah. Right. Right. So immediately that company has basically just lost themselves money. Right. Right. What I did do is I went over, I was looking at designer frames. I decided I was going to save money and just buy a cheap pair of reading glasses instead from the shop. Right. Because I got my prescription and everything else. And I didn't want the hassle of, of it all. Okay. But, but then I sort of, then I sort of just started thinking and I was just like, okay, so how am I going to go and find, okay, I'm going to look at some manufacturers at designer frames for when I do have some money in a, in a, to buy some designer frames when I budget for those. So I think I took a look at, I think it was police glasses or, you know, it was one of these, one of these time honored brands. It could have been Carrera mm -hmm. or it wasn't Armani. I think it was police or some, some, someone like that. And I, and I looked on the site and it said, try on the glasses. So I was like, okay. So I picked some frames. I stipped my head in front of the camera. I wiggled my, wiggled my head around from left to right. And I got a fitting for my head so that they could, they could put the glasses on. And I tell you what, Brian, it was pretty good. I'm not going to lie. Right. Um, but, but the thing is, is that surely you as a, as a, as a retailer, 
want would want to be there ahead of your manufacturer <laughs> or at least the manufacturer would direct the business into your store once you've decided what what you know i mean it, it's just a, a bit of a no-brainer really and and these models can be in all areas can't they in all all parts of retail i mean the future of retail i personally think is very exciting but i think that square footage is going to reduce and i think it's going to become a lot more interesting. I mean, what's your sort of view on, on, on that? Well, I, I think you, you highlight two really important things, right? The first one is, <clears throat> so take your example of, of, of glasses. Um, you know, as things become digital, as you no longer really care for, let, let, let's say that experience worked out great. Well, you no longer really care, did I buy them from the retailer or did I buy them directly from the glasses manufacturer? Right. As far mm-hmm. as you're concerned, that was a great experience, whoever did that. So this digital, this digitization model, this digitization experience is really sort of disrupting business in that people who used to be manufacturers and their business used to be, you know, go to market through retail stores, through sort of secondary people, well, they may no longer need those, right? The value chain may radically change because they can directly go after you. They can advertise on Google, they can uh, you punch glasses into your search and they may show up as opposed to the retail. So there's going to create some tension in the, in the value chain and the supply chain between the, the creators and the people who do retail. And what that's doing is ultimately for people that are in the retail space, meaning things like they own real estate, they have stores and so forth. They're really having to rethink, okay, number one, do I want to maintain the real estate? Is that providing any value? And in some cases, the answer is yes. And in other cases, it may not be. They may be yeah. shrinking retail. Um, but, you know, it, it comes and goes, right? There's usually some sort of, of uh, you know, disruption that happens in the market. So maybe they don't need as much retail space. But then we do begin to see, um, you know, things come back into retail. So, uh, you know, we see things like the Apple store who said, you know, we're going to spend less time having lots of shelves stocked and we're going to spend more time allowing you to be in the store. There'll be geniuses there. You can learn things in the store. So there's a reason to physically come there because there are people that still want to shop that way. Yeah. Um, automobiles are bought that way and, and other things are bought that way. But yeah, they, it's, it's really forcing companies to say, okay, um, you know, number one, can I create great experiences? But number two, is my value chain, my supply chain going to potentially change here or get disrupted here? Where am I in that value chain? And then given certain scenarios that could play out, what do we want to do with the assets that we have? You know, is real estate uh, and storefront, is that still an asset? Do we want to rethink what that looks like? Um, Maybe we want to do other things in that real estate, but also move more stuff into a digital experience. So it really, there's not one right answer to it. That's That's the interesting part of this, but it is making people really have to rethink those things about, you know, what does our current business look like? What could our other business look like? Are our partners our competitors? Are our partners our partners? Uh, it, 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 really, it really changes a lot of things in, in interesting ways. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a bit like the Dollar Shave Club, isn't it, at the end of the day? I mean, that's, that's, that came from nowhere. The branding right. was amazing. They, they, you know, and then they got sold for like, it was a ridiculous amount of money for yeah, a billion, billion dollars to the yeah. shave, to, to Gillette. Yeah. yeah. For a business that just came from nowhere. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah, thanks. I'll have a billion dollars. It's like, but the thing is, is that all it's going to take is an application on an iPhone or an Android phone, which means you can do your own eye test at home. You yeah. know, you do your own eye test. Okay. You sit there and literally you, you're going to be able to create you create the images of what you look like in different clothes, with different haircuts, with different glass frames, yeah, or contact lenses. Oh, what do I look like with blue blue contacts? You know, and it's going to become. I think I think that that is ripe for disruption. That particular. I don't like the word disruption, but that's in essence what's happening. It's what's been happening forever. I mean. What I like about IBM is that they that they are quite a very old company, actually, in, in the scheme of things. I was talking to um, Winston Churchill's grandson the other day. Mm. Uh, he's the founder of American Angels, which is a angel investment firm. They have he's worked with over a thousand startups, and you know I was quite quite impressed actually. And we were sort of talking a bit about that, and 
it's just it's just so interesting how these businesses can just come from nowhere and i think ibm is the only one really that i know of that's actually still around from that era i mean it's it's pretty old compared to if you look at all the top top companies most of them are most of them are new right like tw- not even 20 years old right right yeah there's always um you know as we move from every generation of computing there's always going to be maybe a few that that survive into the next generation and then a lot that don't make it so yeah ibm has has survived through the mainframe era. They essentially created the computing market. Um, you know, they survived through the PC era. Uh, you know, they're they're now trying to reinvent themselves through the cloud computing era. Um, and you know, as we get into things like artificial intelligence and the Internet of Things and all the things that are going to become super data intensive, you know, it makes sense as to why they would go out and acquire um, you know companies like the Weather Channel, who have number one massive amounts of data. But you think about things like weather, weather impacts so many things that aren't just, hey, do I take an umbrella to work? It impacts supply chains. It impacts, uh, you know, all sorts of stuff that companies have to plan for. So having that information and being able to say, hey, could we monetize it in ways that don't just look like you turn on your weather for the day and see what the forecast look like? Can I help somebody, you know, forecast what they should buy? If I'm the the home supply store or something else, um, you know, you, you get yourself into lots of different businesses. And and again, it's really about the importance of thinking not just about your business, but like your supply chains, your value chains, your partners. How can you how can you help them or potentially monetize those interactions? Yeah, very much so. Very much so. It's quite an exciting prospect, really. I mean, I I've been I, I sort of been involved with the CDO summits for the past few years. I kind of mm-hmm. helped helped with uh, some social marketing there in 2014 yep. in London. And <clears throat> David David Matheson is a is a is a lovely gentleman. And you know, back then in 2014, I listened to what the New York government were doing. And let's just give you a scenario, okay? You go to the New York, New York government and you say to them, I want to open a store in New York. Okay. And this is, this, this blew my mind. Actually, it still blows my mind. If you think it's five years ago, nearly now that this happened and the government then say to you, right, so what business are you in? So you tell them, okay, I'm going to open a coffee shop. Okay. So what they do is, is they actually analyze all of the footfall in the entire New York metropolitan area, the demographics of the people that are going to be passing past the front of your store, the empty shops, yeah, the proximity to to uh, public transport links, bars, other coffee shops, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, right? And then they say this is the best location for you, and it's up for rent. It's however much money per month, right? Yeah, no, and it's. It's one of these things where, <clears throat> again, I, I think it's a great, that's a great example of saying, you know, instead of thinking of yourself as a, as a one function organization. So, you know, the government maybe is in the business of, you know, making, making laws and maybe trying to, you know, maintain certain order in society. They're saying, look, you know, we also have a responsibility to, uh, you know, to collect taxes, to help build schools and, and one of the ways they're going to do that is to make make business thrive. And to do that is, is like you said, you've got to not just, you know, give somebody a license as to, to put up a coffee shop, but there's a lot of value that you know about your city that you ought to be able to provide. Help that business find the best place to be. Hopefully that's going to help their business succeed. That's going to drive tax revenue. It's going to help the city. I mean, it, it, it's like, it's a huge cycle that you want to be part of. Um, and figure out where you can provide value. And, and the value a lot of times always centers around the data that you have and the ability to collect data and analyze data. Yeah, that's the core of digitalization, isn't it? It, so, it really yeah. is, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, so in terms of digital transformation, right, yep. right? There are a number of different businesses in the world. There are, you know, there are small businesses, there are medium sized, there are large, large businesses, right? Right, right. Each, each one of those is at a different, st- a different stage of digitalization, okay? Mm-hmm. So where do you start with digital transformation? Well, I, I think the key, when you think about digital transformation, you know, start start with one assumption, which is like you said, we're going to 
to focus on digitizing the business, right? Um, but the second thing typically is you have to realize that the, the transformation part of it, while there's a technology aspect um, and, and there are lots of people who can help you with the technology, the bigger part of it typically is the, the people that are involved. Uh, and, and this is typically the hardest part. So essentially what you have to come to realize is there's probably a part of your business that their job is to say, hey, we're going to come up with new innovative things, right? It could be you know, business development or sales or whatever that function is. We're going to come up with new innovative things. Well, their job is go fast, create new things, uh, you know, have innovative ideas. Well, there's also going to be other parts of your current business whose job is, is to create stability, right? They're the group that manages security for your business or, uh, you know, they make sure that the website is always running 24 by 7 and so forth. And what happens there is as you're trying to digitize things, as you're trying to move faster into markets, you're trying to react to the markets differently, you create this, this inherent internal tension between the people that want to go fast and change things and the people who are incentivized to, to not change things, to keep things stable, to keep things secure. And <clears throat> so the first thing to really realize is that you're going to have to figure out a way to overcome that tension because you want the benefits of moving faster, of collecting more data, of making decisions on that data and, and doing it in a way that, that doesn't you know, create undue risk on your business or create so much change that nobody can understand it. So that's, that's always the first thing that, that people kind of have to mentally grasp. And it's really important that that gets looked at from the executive level because the executives have to be supportive of the idea that, hey, this digitization, digital transformation is important for our business. It's going to make us survive in the long run. Um, you know, so sort of top-down encouraging, encouraging of that. But also, there's got to be some retraining and some, some educating uh, at, the, at the ground level of the business, the people doing the work to say, hey, look, we're going to change some things and we're going to support you in, in how this change is going to happen. Um, it's going to feel different. Uh, we're going to measure things different in the business. Um, but kind of understanding that inherent tension of some things have to go faster and some things still want to remain the same. Um, that's always the biggest challenge and typically the, the best starting point in terms of how are we going to go make this happen? Right. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think there's a lot of people who are very scared about losing their jobs. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have become complacent as well in, in their jobs, sure. and their careers and their businesses as well. And that complacency, unfortunately, guys, anyone listening to this, that is going to cause either, you know, mass, mass loss of, of jobs or it means you need to take action and learn something new. And you know what? I would prefer to take action and learn something new. And that's my personal attitude about it. But over and above, above this, yeah, businesses have their own pressures from, from stockholders, shareholders and everything else. However, there needs to have some sort of corporate social responsibility, which ensures that there is not a mass panic um, within that business that says, well, look, we just want to help you make your job easier. We want to mean we want to make your job better for you. And we're going to help you to make that job better. And yes, we're going to streamline as best as we can, but we will ensure that there are plenty of jobs. Because I mean, that's the other fear that, you know, there aren't going to be any people working and it's just going to be robots, like with the um, Hitachi warehouse manager that they recruited in 2015 to, to manage a warehouse of humans, which was quite an interesting one. Right. Yeah. I mean, there, you know, there, there are obviously some examples that are starting to come up where we see, uh, you know, automation take the place of, of what were uh, human jobs at some point. You know, what we find more and more um, you know, in the, in the sort of computer side of, of technology is that, number one, I always tell people, if you've been in, in the technology industry, the sort of the computer side of the technology industry for any period of time, you know, the only constant that, that's existed is change, right? You're used to change. You're used to having to learn something new uh, on a fairly regular basis. It may be once every year or once every couple of years. But, you know, fearing, fearing change and, and being on the computer side of technology are you know, kind of oil and water. You, you, you sort of come to accept it. Um, and, and the reality is in most cases, the business isn't saying, 
we would we would benefit from losing all of your experience or losing having people to do these things. What they're really saying is we just want to do things in in different ways, and we're looking for um, you know the ability to be to be adaptable. And so it it asks it says number one, I'm not really asking you to do anything radically different than you've done before. I'm asking you to continue to learn and continue to change. And, and, and so that's, you know, that should help part of the, Hey, you know, we're going to evolve. And the second part of it is, um, you know, you're kind of asking your, your workers to, to make some commitment to the business because the business is essentially saying, we would like to continue to survive. We'd like to continue to be successful. And we want you to be part of doing that. And, you know, if you've built a culture in the company where, People enjoy working there. They want to see the company be successful. They become successful as the company becomes successful. Um, you know, this is really doubling down on on a commitment between uh, you know the company itself and the and the workers themselves to say, hey, um, you know, we want to be successful. We want you to be part of that. Um, and you know, in most cases, when when you present it that way, um, you find there's there's a lot of buy-in from people. There's less pushback than there is buy-in to want to make things successful, want to learn new things and be part of, be part of the change. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the people who in essence will, will lose their jobs or their jobs will change dramatically are the ones that need to be looking anyway, really, because that experience, I mean, that experience is, is valuable. And, you know, all these people sort of getting, causing a mass panic about AI, 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 and everything else. And actually, you know, I mean, I was talking to talking to uh, Dr. Churchill the other day, like I said, and and he sort of said, you know, we're not going to be living in the in the age of the Jetsons anytime soon, and and that did make me smile actually, because that's what that's what people in technology, you know, like everyone to believe that actually, oh well, we're going to just use AI, and there's this mass overhyping of AI and technology and what it can actually do, and I. And I think that that someone needs to put their foot up, hand up and say, do you know what? Okay, so we can do these things with AI, but AI is not connected. Yeah, the AI is used in very specific ways and it is not going to create some kind of, you know, ganja fueled hallucinations of grandeur like Elon Musk is saying that it's going to kill everyone and, you know, everything else. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's my attitude around it. What's your view on that one, Brian? Yeah, I, I think the thing with, with AI and, and machine learning, you know, people have to remember that, that this isn't a new phenomenon. This is, uh, you know, science and, and, and mathematics that's existed for, you know, 20, 30 years. And so, you know, there, there's always a certain amount of science fiction that goes on to, hey, if, if it's something gets taken to its, its furthest reaches, uh, you know, here's what it could look like. And we've seen science fiction movies about that and, and books have been written and so forth. But, but the real reality is that, you know, with, with AI, with machine learning, um, it's, it's now such a, an everyday part of our lives that we sort of forget that the, the small progresses that it makes, um, you know, sort of unlock some things. So for example, if you've ever gone to Google, you know, way back in the day, if you went back 10 years in Google, um, you know, Google didn't do things like uh, complete your search, right? You start typing in a couple of words and it, and it fills in a bunch of stuff for you. You know, that didn't used to happen, right? Now those things start to happen. Well, nobody says, oh my gosh, uh, my search is using AI and ML. And it's, fi- it's like people go, oh, that, that's a nice convenience, right? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the Jetsons 30, 40 years ago used to talk about flying cars. Well, you know, now we have vehicles, you know, most modern vehicles these days have a bunch of things built into them that do pretty interesting stuff that are helping you drive better. You know, they let you know when you've gone outside the lanes. Um, They'll do some things to sense the car in front of you and potentially stop if you're not stopping in time. Well, that's essentially a variation on what machine learning and AI is, but they've just become a part of, of your everyday thing. And you look at them and you go, wow, those are great. They get, they kept me safe. They, they helped me avoid an accident. And so I think there are there are always going to be scary scenarios that people will apply to science if it if it goes radically wrong. Um, you know, every superhero movie is ever is always based on that, the Hulk or Spider Man or something. But I think what we see more and more is that the the small advances, the day to day advances that happen, people tend to like the benefits that come out of those, and the ones that are you know strange and weird and radical kind of get 
uh, kicked out by the market, rejected by the market, but the things that are, that are useful and helpful and become part of our day-to-day lives, um, people appreciate that. It ends up unlocking some time that they can do with other things. Um, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm less fearful about it. I understand the, the concern and the fear and, and sure, you know, things can go wrong. But, um, you know, I think the market has a way of, of sort of uh, accepting the things that are useful for, for, you know, the broad pieces of society and, and rejecting the ones that, that seem to cause a lot of harm. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. So what, what exciting digital transformation projects have you been involved with, Brian? You know, the, the good thing about it is there's, there's so many of them and it's like, it's a little bit like the AI example I have, you know, things happen um, and they may seem small at the time, but they begin to sort of blossom. So I'll, I'll give you a couple of simple examples. Um, you know, I, I grew up uh, in, in Detroit, which for your listeners, they may or may not know Detroit was sort of the, the capital where automobiles were originally, uh, you know, kind of become mass produced, um, you know, Ford and the assembly line and so forth. So you know, I grew up in Detroit and, and the thing that you always focused on with automobiles was, was horsepower and, and styling of the outside of the car and all those types of, you know, it was, it was very, you know, machine centric. And nowadays, when you think about automobiles, um, all of the automakers are really focused on, you know, what's the inside experience like? Can I, can I deliver software to the vehicle so that it gets new features? It doesn't just stop when it rolls off the, off the lot where you bought the vehicle. Um, it's now thinking about, you know, can I update maps in the car? Can I update, um, you know, better driving things? And so, you know, we've worked with some companies, uh, some of the automotive companies that are really focused on how do we deliver software to those, to those automobiles on a consistent basis? Um, you know, how do we focus people's experience so that the kids in the back seat can get Wi-Fi or you can personalize your music experience? Like that's a huge transformation for the automotive industry, less about, the, the engine itself and more about the experience in the car. Um, we work with, uh, you know, I work with a company who is one of the, you know, major hotel companies. And one of their focuses was they said, you know, everybody comes through our front door, everybody deals with the front desk, um, but everybody gets the exact same experience. And the reality is somebody coming in with kids on a vacation is totally different than the person who's a a business traveler, a road warrior, and rolls in at 11 o'clock at night. And so they said, you know, the, the first thing that we could do, the simplest thing we could do is give them a key. Let them get the key without having to check in at the front desk at 11 o'clock at night when they're tired. They just want to show up. And so we help them with a digital key program. And Ooh. as simple as that sounds, you go, oh, wow, that really starts to, uh, you know, unlock a lot of things. Number right. one, it, it maybe uh, helps the hotel itself rethink the front desk experience. It rethinks that whole real estate that they have of the front desk. What else could we do to that? But number two, it personalizes the experience for that person. It could be, um, you know, I I rolled in late at night and uh, I want to let them know, hey, please put some water in my room or please put warm cookie in my room. I don't have to deal with the front desk person if I'm tired, if I'm grumpy. Um, So sometimes they're big things like the automotive uh, example. Other times they're what seem like little small things but they have sort of nice benefits because as that road warrior, you go, I'm going to go back to that hotel if I get a chance. I'm always going to pick that one because they make my check-in experience better. And so you, you, you're always thinking about how, you know, what, what can we do to make the customer experience better, to make the loyalty experience better, and then what can we learn from that? And obviously, there's a bunch of technology that makes all that happen. But again, there's so many examples out there. You know, it's, it's really sort of fascinating. That's, that's really interesting about the front desk check-in. I like that a lot, actually, because it's, it's just, it's so necessary to reinvent everything because people's, people are different. Like the, the people are so different. Like, like you say, like having a family versus a, a business traveler, a completely different or a newlyweds or, you know, totally, totally different. So right. what's, what's the most exciting for you out of all the projects that you've been involved with? Oh, wow. You know, I, I think the thing that, that, that you love the most is when you, when you get a chance to work with some companies and, and they start to realize like, oh, okay, number one, we, we conquered some new technology. Like that's always, that's always fun. It gives them a lot of satisfaction that, you know, something they were maybe were afraid of or didn't know anything about where they were excited about. But more importantly, it is, it is pretty crazy when, you know, after working with somebody for six months or a year or something, they go, 
this is, this is going to totally change our business. This totally unlocks our ability to, to do, to get into new markets and new, new, new things. You know, like I treat a little bit like my kids, like you don't, you don't love one kid more than the other and you don't want to say that one's more than the other, but, but it's amazing to me. What's really interesting is, is to watch these companies kind of start to get creative, right? It's, for me, I work with a lot of technologists and computer people and you think, well, they're only focused on the computers and the blinky lights and, and kind of the low level stuff. And what happens is when you unlock and you, you start to talk to them and you go, hey, you have the ability, um, you know, you've never really been the front of the business, but you have the ability to impact the future of the business. Uh, they just, their creative juices get going and, and they get so excited about it. And you know, I'll give you one more example. It's a sort of, you know, again, sort of in the travel uh, space, but, um, you know, did, did not, not coincidentally. Um, you know, we work with one of the airports in Europe and they, you know, they set this really big goal. They said, we want to be the best airport in Europe. And you said, okay, that's great. And they said, we want to do that by, you know, 2021. So super short time frame. And they really started thinking about, you know, everything about the experience of going to the airport, everything from, uh, you know, how do I get my tickets? Do I make that simple for people? How do we notify them about things that are going on? Um, you know, like, is the weather changed? Are there delays in traffic? Has the flight been delayed? Everything about, they're trying to think about every bit of the experience, how they can digitize it. How do they put signage in the, in the, in the airport so that, you know, it's in multiple languages or, you know, they figure out the flow of traffic. You start to think about all that and you're like, this is, this is really amazing. This is sort of watching businesses reinvent themselves somewhat in real time. And, and the fact that they, you know, they no longer have to think about just the resources that they have, but they think about how do I interact with weather? Oh, I'm going to go to the weather channel. Oh, how do I interact with social media? Oh, there's, there's a whole bunch of tweets about some, you know, traffic thing, or there's tweets about, you know, some crazy incident. Like how do we, how do we collect all that and then make better experiences? That, that part is, is really fun because you're no longer, talking about technology anymore. You're talking about, you know, really reshaping these companies' businesses and, and they want to think about the next 20 years for themselves. That's, that's very cool. Yeah. I, I share your excitement. I think seeing other people get excited about what they're doing, yeah. when you sort of share the excitement. I mean, you're already excited because you're already involved with this, you know, but for them discovering it and then actually, you know, having that sort of helping hand must just be very, very rewarding. There's no doubt about that at all. Yeah, so, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So on digital transformation, do you start sort of just by like an audit? Like say, say I had a business that, that, you know, and I came to you and I said, Hey, Hey Brian, can you, can you help me? I need to, you know, really transform digitally. I want to, I want to become you know, the most digitalized business in my space. Yep. Where, where do you start? Do you start with an audit and then, and then uh, list opportunities from there? Or So I think the reality is there's, there's usually two places people start. And, and one, one I've found works pretty well and one tends to lag. So usually the, the companies or the businesses that start with a problem. Um, so they, they have an urgency in the business somewhere. Um, you know, maybe it's as simple as, hey, um, you know, business has been slow. We have to increase profitability. Okay, that's fine. That's typically kind of a normal thing in the business. But usually when there's, there's something that's a little more critical in the business, uh, maybe they had a major outage, um, you know, that, that impacted their business. They ended up on the front page of, of the newspaper or, um, you know, they lost something. Uh, usually when there's, when there's a criticality that starts the, the process, um, that tends to work itself better. And the reason for that is, number one, uh, urgency sort of focuses people. But number two, it, it gives them a distinct area to sort of work on. And it really forces them to say, okay, how did we get ourselves in this situation? And, you know, do we, do we just want to get ourselves back to sort of normalcy? Or do we use this as an excuse to, um, to really rethink what we did? And, and the reason I use that example is, you know, you can apply this to sort of your regular life. Um, you know, if, if you wake up on January 1st and you say, well, my, my new year's resolution is I'd like to lose 10 pounds. Okay. You could do that on any year of your life for any reason. And you just sort of said you want to do that. But if you went to the doctor and the doctor said, well, your cholesterol level is, is over 300. Well, now you've got a critical reason to go. I, I better lose those 10 pounds. I better figure out the best way to change my diet. I better figure out because 
Now I've got an urgency. And so that the urgency driven starting point tends to work better. It's, it's easier to drive funding around those projects. It's easier to drive people being concerned about it. The ones where you just start with an audit and say, hey, you know, all my other competitors say they're doing digital transformation. Um, those work, uh, you know, there's success that happens with them. They don't tend to change nearly as fast because there isn't an urgency. It's harder to get funding because people think you're just doing the day in and day out work. So I, I always typically ask people, you know, what's the most critical thing happening right now? Or what's the thing that worries you the most as opposed to just saying, hey, we're, we're changing for normal 10% efficiency improvements. Pain is a, is a, is a great motivator. There's yeah. No doubt, you know, yeah. No it's a that. normal, normal human uh, function that we all understand. Yeah. And, pain, and, pain and urgency. Yeah. And then, and then from there, yeah. you've, you know, they've, they've said, well, we've got this massive problem. We've had a data breach. Let's right. Use that as an example. We've had a data breach and you know, we've, we've really got a serious problem here. How do we manage our data and how do we take this so that no one can get into our systems again? Right. What, then you then you put together a plan and then ask them what else they they may need and then and then sort of get with the urgent stuff first and then and then progress to the more nice to have items at the end, right? Yeah, and I, and I think there's really you have to think in terms of two sort of immediate paths, right? The first one is going to be, um, and again, think of these in parallel. The first one is, so you you had this breach. You want to go to to the executive level of the company and 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 make sure they understand the criticality of it, but also make sure that they're going to get behind, you know, the things that the project needs to be successful. So, are they going to help get it funded? Are they going to help make sure that they're providing air cover in terms of schedules and and making sure that people realize how important this is to fix? So, there's a there's a top down aspect of it, but typically, what ends up happening is, uh, the, in parallel you can go to the teams that are responsible for things and, and be like, hey, you know, not just, you know, do you know why this happened or, you know, what would you, but in a lot of cases, they've already been researching, you know, what, what other technologies could we use to make this better? Um, what best practices did we wish we could have been using, but, you know, we just didn't have time to do it. So in parallel, you're kind of going to, uh, from the bottom up and saying, what do you guys think would help make this, this better? Because they live with it every day. They typically know what would have been better. And it also allows them to say, hey, what restrictions or what changes can we make at the, you know, at the work level? Really finding that balance between sort of executive top-down buy-in, air cover, support, and then encouragement and, and the knowledge from the base in terms of bottom-up. You got to find a way to work both of those in parallel. Um, yes, a plan falls out of it and so forth, but um, those two things are really, really important. If you just do one versus the other, um, you either get lots of ideas with no support or lots of expectations with no ability to execute. Yeah, I can see that because it can be really demotivational when someone at the top of a business turns around and says, we're doing this. And then they come to your department and say, we're doing this. And you're like, well, I don't want that. We don't need that. Right. You, right. know, you don't or, you don't understand it. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, we know that that's not the right solution. And, right. and, and picking the right solution is certainly it's got to be key, isn't it, really? Yeah. Um, but I think I think the future is bright. I think that I think that a lot of companies are going through this right now. I mean, I was sort of looking at some stats the other day and I think it was like 34 percent of businesses are, are, are like well into digitalization. Um, the, 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 you know, completely transforming using, using data. But I mean, I think there are a lot of sort of outside factors that are coming in, you know, like GDPR, for example, sure. over here. And then you guys have got like the California thing that happened over there. That was, mm -hmm. that was pretty serious in terms of like, you know, uh, government legislation and that sort of stuff. But I think, I think, you know, starting off with a kind of, I hate to say it, but like the old school methods, like SWOT analysis and stuff, like still have value today. You know, they do. Uh, I think what you end up finding is that the the long term planning processes that that a lot of companies used to do, they'd have a five year and a ten year uh, forecast or roadmap or plan. Um, those are that model is really getting broken down. So you still, you know, you still want to understand the SWOT analysis and the four box quadrants and all those sort of things that you might learn in business school. Um, but you very much have to be able to say, 
we're going to we're going to do iterative planning. We're not doing sort of waterfall planning where we start and we plan and plan and plan and plan and then we get to the end right. and it's 18, 18 months later and we're like, oh wait, all of our assumptions are no longer valid because the market changed. Right? You've got to right. you've got to have things in place that say our planning is going to be iterative. We're going to collect feedback as we go along. We're going to course correct as we go along. Um, you know, there's a there's a model out there people that, that's called OO. Uh, DA or, uh, you know, uh, it's like observe, um, OD, it's, uh, they call it OODA loops. And they're things that the military use all the time because in military environments, you know, you have a plan, you have a battle plan, you know where your enemy is, but the enemy moves around and the environments change, the weather changes, the you know, munitions change, how much food you have changes. And so there are things that we're learning from other ecosystems that become applicable uh, to business, you know, in environments that are going to change more frequently. Yeah. I mean, I think coming up with, you know, where you want to be, like having that big goal, you know, of like, right. Wimble- like Wimbledon did, like they said, well, we want to be the best, the best tennis tournament in the world. And right. they've done it, you know, and, and they are doing it. They, they've, they've put digital transformation at the absolute core of what they're doing, even so far as, you know, taking over the broadcasting and saying, well, we're in control of this now. And if you want right. to do it with us, then you need to pay us. And that's what they did with the BBC. You know, right? And, yeah, they changed their supply chain exactly, exactly. and then they, they they reversed the power, and and I think that there's a lot to be said for that. But you know, keeping ethics at the core is 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 so so important, and that's what I like about Wimbledon. I mean, they've they've kept the relationship with the BBC. They've designed the way that they release updates so that it actually benefits the BBC instead of hurting them, which I think goes to you know core ethics of a business and. And I like that. I think that there are so many interesting, exciting things going on right now. But we all need to remember that if we if we lose the consumerization, right, then all of this technology and everything is going to leave us like the Flintstones anyway. Oh, yeah. Ethics and, and working well with your partners and creating, you know, like Stephen Covey says, you know, win-win situations is always going to be good for your business. There's going to be some change along the way and, and you want to educate them. But yeah, if, it, if you're creating situations that are, that are win-wins, that you, that you want to create bigger opportunities than exist today, those are always great starting points for you know, working with people and, and trying to make things better. Yeah. Well, thanks, Brian. You've been, you've been really generous with your time and we've got 30 seconds left. So uh, is the best place for people to find you on, on LinkedIn, do you think? Yeah, LinkedIn's great. Uh, you know, Brian Gracely on LinkedIn, um, at B Gracely on Twitter. Um, I'm online a lot. And uh, any of those places, would love to talk to folks. And, uh, you know, my, my uh, direct messages are always open. So love to talk to people about this stuff. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thank you so much. And I look forward to speaking to you soon, buddy. Thank you, Nathaniel. Really appreciate the time. Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe and wherever you prefer, share with your friends. And if you enjoyed the show, drop us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.